Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to take a moment before today's episode to touch on a few things. So my book, The Caregiver Chronicles, 22 Family Caregivers Get Real About the Ties That Bind, has been climbing the charts. And the reviews, the five-star reviews, continue to roll in on Amazon. And it's just, uh, I don't know, makes my heart so happy. So if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out yet, please do and go read those reviews and order yourself a copy. You can get it in Kindle or paperback. Um, And also, it's now available on Goodreads as well as um, Barnes & Noble. So you can check it out there. and bookstores, smaller bookstores, stores are starting to carry it. Uh, all of the authors live scattered about the country, so everybody's doing their part to try to get this into libraries and bookstores. So uh, ask for it in your own indie bookstore or your Barnes & Noble or wherever it is that you shop for books. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for your support. If you have read it and written a review, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now for today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and I am so intrigued today because I have a guest here who is going to address a topic that we have not yet addressed here, surprisingly, well, you know, with 300-something episodes on the show. So today I have J.K. Amazi, and he is a porn addiction recovery coach and founder of the number one porn addiction recovery program. The Porn Reboot System. So welcome, JK. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I told you before hitting record, I, I'm i just, well, we connected through Podmatch. I always like to give a little plug for Podmatch on mm-hmm. the show because it's such a, such a great platform for connecting hosts and guests. Um, but yeah, when, I, when you came across my radar, I was like, oh, we really need to sit down and chat about this because addiction whether it's um, drugs and alcohol or gambling, uh, but porn addiction had not come across my radar yet. So can you talk to the audience first, I guess, just define what is porn addiction? Yeah. Uh, The first thing I want to say is that um, it's the, the term pornography addiction is one that has been debated quite a bit. And I say that um, for the benefit of those of you who may be listening, who, you may be dealing with it yourself and not sure if you should call it an addictive behavior, or you may have a spouse, a child, a loved one who's struggling with it. I think a better term to use is a compulsive behavior. We use the term um, addiction because the general public uh, understands what that is. But a compulsive behavior with pornography is any behavior that has to do with visual imagery um, that you try to stop despite the negative impact that it's having on your life, but you're unable to. So a typical example would be somebody who uses it when they get very stressed out at work or at the end of a long day when they're lonely and they don't have intimacy in their life. They feel a negative emotion. They feel shame or they feel guilt. They don't want to do it again. Yet despite that horrible emotion that they're feeling, you still find yourself going back to it again and again. Um, that would be a what, what we would typically call a pornography addiction. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, and as you spoke, I mean, truly, it resonated because of any sort of 
quote unquote addiction. It's just mm. that repetitive behavior and using it to fill a need, really, that's being unmet in some way. Yeah. And the typical needs are um, usually strong emotions, uh, unresolved issues, typically different types of trauma. It could be sexual trauma. It could be some form of abandonment and neglect. That's something that we see uh, that's very common, usually abandonment and neglect that happened in childhood. Um, a big piece is loneliness and a lack of intimacy, which is something we're seeing among a lot of much younger men today. Um, and then a very common one since the pandemic is people using it to deal with stress. And they often find that they will go to some form of social media or the other. And because this is a behavioral or a process uh, addiction or behavior, um, they start with one, one form of a coping mechanism, like the dopamine release from Instagram, getting likes or seeing certain images, and then they quickly progress to sexual behavior. So they quickly progress to something that could be triggering visually, and that usually leads them to pornography or some other acting out uh, sexual behavior. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I would think, again, I haven't talked about this much, uh, is that when you start to have to pay for it, that does it then become such, I mean, just a burden financially then too, correct? Um, well, the, the interesting thing is not many people have to pay for it. So I'm not sure how familiar you are or your audience is with pornography today, but, and most people aren't, to be honest. Um, I just deal with so many people struggling with it that I sometimes forget that there's the vast majority of people are not exposed to pornography, um, but really it's free. Like a lot of pornography is free. It used to be paid for back in the day. Um, so back in the day, the uh, it wasn't easy to access. Back in the day, you had to, you know, get on the bus or the train, go to that shady gas station or video store at the other side of town. You had to hide it in your coat. You had to come all the way back. And then you had to make sure it was hidden or that the VHS was not left in the cassette player. And then we had the internet. But then it was very cumbersome, uh, Terry, because um, it was, you know, dial up and it was not convenient. In 2006, just a little bit of history for your listeners, that was the advent of YouTube and high speed Internet. So that was when high speed Internet pornography became a thing. And they started using a similar algorithm and set up as YouTube where you could watch pornography. And on the side, the algorithm would actually suggest what you should watch next. So just as people got stuck on funny videos and videos of puppies and dogs and everything, people fell down that hole with sexual behavior. But the pornography sites, when it comes to the paid part of it, then realized that, oh, well, if we can give them little snippets for free, then they're just going to spend a lot of time here. And instead of them paying for pornography, we'll just have advertisers pay us because they're spending so much time. Um, on the porn sites, or we'll have them pay just like with YouTube to not have ads. So you can watch free videos. It's just like if the pornographic ads uh, for worse pornography or different genres are too much, then you can pay us. Um, the financial aspect usually becomes a burden when individuals escalate to things like chat. So if they're chatting, uh, which was an issue I had um, back in the day, um, was chatting because I was lonely. And I didn't have intimacy in my life. And then you would have to pay um, by the minutes to chat with somebody. Um, nowadays, we have things like OnlyFans, Fansly, and a bunch of others 
where um, individuals are sending gifts, sending money. And yes, there can be a financial burden. It's just uh, uh, not one of the major issues, but a lot of people do end up there. Wow. Yeah. You just see me going, wow. Cause you're right. I don't know. I don't know any of this. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for that, that little bit of education. So you just mentioned you had a personal history with it and then yeah. you, you took that and um, you've developed this amazing program. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah. So I was exposed to pornography when I was eight years old. Um, I'm a millennial, so I'm like 39 years old, but I'm part of the latchkey generation where mom and dad came back from school and they were like, just don't open the door for anyone. Um, but this was where I was exposed to pornography because we would have an older cousin come by and was sort of a nanny slash older cousin. And I loved comic books. So she was there was this comic book she was reading one day, but she just didn't let me read it. So I figured where she hid it, she would actually hide it in our house and leave. And I found where she hid it. Turns out it was pornographic in nature. Now, Terry, being eight years old, I, I wasn't able to be aroused, but I instantly understood what I was seeing. And that's one thing that I tell my clients when I speak is I say that the thing about pornography is that it can be instantly deciphered by anybody. It doesn't matter whether you're illiterate. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your mental capacity is. When you think of it, if there's something like this that anybody of any mental capacity can immediately decipher and translate into whatever suits their worldview, then it's not really something that's consensual, nor is it something that should be allowed to be lying around. So I was exposed to that. And all I remember was that I would get whooped. (laughs) <laughs> by my parents. I would get spanked if they found out I was looking at this. I kind of knew what it was, but I was shocked and scared because I was just, I didn't, I thought that was what sex was. I was like, oh my God, this is the sex thing, but it was pornography. So I got really scared of sex from there, but there was also a, a biochemical reaction from the adrenaline and the shock. And right after that, It was such an intense feeling that I wanted to revisit the feeling, the adrenaline rush that came from the taboo material. So anytime I felt rejected, anytime my parents didn't give me what I wanted, anytime I misbehaved, I knew that nudity would set that off. So it wasn't arousal because I was still a kid, but it would change my state. And that continued until I hit my adolescence. So once I was about 13, 14 years old, and I learned what masturbation was and what orgasm was, then it was off to the races. And I used that all the way up to my early 20s to medicate everything. You know how it is when you're a teenager and your arms are growing longer than your body, you have acne, you're just awkward. I would just go to porn. And that became my essentially my first relationship. It was the thing that comforted me. It was the thing that educated me about sex, albeit in the wrong way. Uh, so I sought comfort in it. And as you can imagine, anyone who's listening, if you've used something secretly to comfort you for so long, it becomes very, very challenging to let it go. You know? Yes. Oh, and I mean, I think I, I used alcohol as a teenager and, uh, yeah, I mean, people have food addictions and shopping addictions, and um, yeah, I I can honestly say, and I'm just speaking mm. from the heart here, you know, as a as 
trauma survivor is someone who was sexually abused. I just always saw pornography as just like this horrible, horrible, like it was just gross men that wanted to do gross things to little girls. And mm. it, that, that's where my mindset as a, as a sexual abuse survivor came from. Mm. And thank you for shining the light because I just had never taken the time and, and learned about um what I mean what it was doing for you and um how you were having um yeah needs met so yeah that's very educational for me thank you you're welcome you're welcome I think it's um bringing up the sexual abuse aspect I think it's important to just note that um sex is such a complex thing and when you throw in something like pornography I alluded to the inability of anybody to actually of most people who who if you're a child if you're uneducated if you are perhaps mentally impaired some younger people on the spectrum we work with a lot of people on the spectrum you may not really understand what you're viewing you may not understand consent and at a very young age um and even for a lot of 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 um mature individuals because of the shame attached to it and the fact that nobody speaks about it and explains it, it leads to a lot of, of sex crimes and uh, perpetrating sexual assaults on other people. And um, that's actually one of the things that fuels me because the part of the story I didn't share, Terry, and do tell me if at any point this becomes triggering because I want to respect that as well. I don't know how much of the work you've done yourself a but, lot. Um, so yeah, and we talk okay. about it all. So thank okay. you. Okay, just, just, yes. yeah, I just had to put that out there. But thank you. Um, you know, at one point when I was a teenager, we were still latchkey kids, but I had two younger sisters. And there was a neighborhood, a, a boy from the neighborhood who would come around and he would bring um, little like DVDs mm -hmm. of pornography over. He was about 17 years old, and I had to be about 14 years old then. So he would bring DVDs of pornography over. And um, one day, this was several months in, one of my, and I would let him let himself out, right? And I'll keep watching pornography. This is before my dad and mom would return home. One of my sisters slipped a note under my door and said, hey, when you and your friend finish doing whatever y'all are doing, can you please walk him out? Because at night, he stops by in our room and does stuff to us. Oh. And that, that, absolutely devastated me because it was a very conflicting time. It was very painful for me. I was 14. I blamed myself. I didn't know what to do because my dad would definitely kill him. Mm -hmm. And I understood the consequences of that. I didn't know what would happen to me. I, there was so much shame in my family going, we were Catholic. I couldn't talk to my sisters about it. So all I could do was go over to his place and pick a fight with him. Um, and I mean, he beat me up, but I hurt him a lot. And we stopped talking after that because he just didn't know. That was my 14-year-old way of dealing with it. But then I, you know, over the years, there's, there was this survival's guilt, so to speak, that both my sisters got sexually abused. And it, it impacted their life severely. Um, they were able to overcome it, um, one becoming telling her story. And I think she's got to deal with the TV station uh, FX. She's got like a whole series based on that. So even in adulthood, I've had to deal with these things, the story coming back. But that was the, one of the things aside from my own addiction to pornography that caused me to get into this field. So I do I, I am very vocal when it 
comes to the the impact pornography addiction has on people's sexual behavior and how this induces trauma in so many innocent people. Wow. You know, as you spoke, my, the first time I was molested, I was five and it was by a 16 year old neighbor. Mm. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I, I grew up Catholic as well. And my dad was six foot six, 280. He looked like big, strong football player kind of guy. And mm. I just remember thinking, I, I can't tell my dad one, I can't talk about this kind of stuff, but he'll kill him. Like, and I don't, and you know, in my five-year-old brain was, I don't want my daddy to go to prison. And because that's how I thought it worked was, you know, oh, my dad will kill him. And then mm. my dad won't be around. So yeah. Wow. So your your reboot program, how does how does it work with folks? Well, what we do is um, we identify what level an individual is at. So we have about six different levels of their addictive behavior. With the first level just being an individual who is struggling with ending it, so they're using it just to medicate usually strong emotions or stress, um, and that usually comes up. Um, just as a habit, they don't see it coming. They, they've just been used and they're like, you know what, I should probably stop. And then we go all the way up to level six where an individual might be acting out sexually. They can no longer tell the difference between fantasy and reality. And they feel that those fantasies are acceptable to act out. Um, they, they might be doing something that is borderline illegal or illegal in, in different states as well. Um, there might be other people who are being hurt by their behavior as well. They're not, we wouldn't classify them as sex offenders. We don't work with sex offenders, but they're definitely headed there. Um, and they're just a skip, a skip away from that. So the way we work is a little bit different from the way traditional recovery works. We actually call porn reboot. Um, there's actually a P with a, with a reset button in the middle. And that's because, um, we noticed that a lot when I was trying to end my behavior about 14, 15 years ago, traditional recovery, um, when it came to sexual behavior was just picked straight from substance abuse, which means that it was like 12 steps and certain principles, like you're always a recovering addict and, you know, once an addict, always an addict. And one day at a time, it almost felt like this life sentence where, even though you had a belief in a higher power, it was almost as if you had no no agency of your own. And this did not resonate with me. 
I did not want to be a recovering porn addict for the rest of my life because I already growing up as a Catholic, I already came up with a lot of shame that I, I pulled up from there. And I didn't, I didn't find it appealing to constantly fight shame and use willpower day after day and identify with that. And so that's where the term rebooting came up. Uh, somebody who is recovering is sort of recovering that which they lost to their addictive behavior, which is fine. You're recovering lost relationships. You're recovering intimacy. You're recovering values. But the problem with sexual behavior is that because of the shame, it stays hidden for so long compared to alcohol or other substances, which usually can be seen in the person. You'd be like, I think they have a drinking problem. It is very difficult to tell when somebody has an addiction to pornography. It is so well hidden. So by the time this individual arrives in recovery, they cannot regain what they lost. And what I mean by that is, if you were addicted when you were in your mid-20s and you show up to recovery at 42, 43, what are you regaining? Your, your 20s are gone, right? You can't relearn sex from what it was supposed to be like to date in your 20s in a healthy, intimate way. You're now in your 40s. A lot of these men still are thinking. It's almost as if they were frozen in time to when they began that sexual behavior. But it's not in a traumatic way. It's just in the way they relate to sexuality is very juvenile or that of a young person. And so instead of trying to regain that which you already lost, we believe in just hitting the reset button. It's absolutely healthy to completely redefine what intimacy is to you at that stage in your life, where you are financially, if you already have a family and kids and you've been hiding it, it's fine to rebuild your spiritual life from where you are, and it makes it so much easier to not just let go of the past, but actually use the things that happened to you in the past um, as an example, right? All of those things now become lessons that you can use here. So you don't have to just let it go and dump it and start. It's not starting over. It's just resetting everything in the moment. So that's what we do at Porn Reboots. And we simply work with changing your habits first, which is where a lot of coaches do their work. And then we move on to changing your lifestyle. Lifestyle is where a lot of traditional, um, I would say traditional therapeutic, traditional religious programs end. So it's live the lifestyle of a recovered individual or of a person who is in recovery. But that's not enough. We take it one step further, which is the third step, which is changing your self-image. Your identity has to change at the core. So you're no longer a person who needs that. And let's say you were an individual who was struggling with something traumatic. In many cases, in order for the identity and the self-image to change, you need to not just work on the trauma, but you need to go all the way back and accept the fact that that traumatic thing happened. Because for a lot of ind individuals, it's not the trauma itself that it's the issue. It is the denial or the wish that it didn't happen. So I know the trauma happened. I just can't, I just, I just wish it didn't happen. And as long as that identity, that part of it is released, you can now begin the process of forgiveness, developing self-compassion, all the things that are necessary for you to let go of that compulsive behavior. Wow. I love the mindset. I, I particularly just absolutely applaud the not living with 
like carrying that around on your shoulders, almost like a, you know, a badge of recovered porn addiction. And it's the reboot is just so brilliant because it is. And I talk about it on the show so often about there are lessons to be learned in our, in our traumas. And, um, and yes, to be able to take those lessons and say, and even when you're experiencing a current life trauma and being able to step back and say, okay, what lesson am I am I learning in this or supposed to be learning in this? Um, it's a, just such a great message. So yes, I, I say yay to that. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, absolutely. I could certainly sit here and learn from you for probably hours on ends, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that, that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Oh, Terry, I can go in, in any direction, honestly. But one thing I always like to say when I have the opportunity to be to sit in front of an audience is, um, I know on some podcasts, people pitch and all that stuff. I don't do that uh, when it comes to what I do when it comes to sexual behavior. Um, first of all, we have a wait list. <laughs> That's the first thing. But but secondly, the truth is, if you're listening to this and you know someone or you suspect someone that you care about might be might be struggling with a sexual behavior, just understand that it's going to take patience. Um, people have to actually admit to themselves that they have a problem, and that usually involves. Um, really overcoming a lot of guilt and, and shame, feeling that you are a bad person and that you are worthless. And I just want to put out a message to let you know that even though you may have been struggling with this for a very long time, um, you're not worthless. And I know it might seem hopeless and that you're living in a world where everything is sexualized and everywhere you turn, it seems so normal. And perhaps you even feel that you're this weird person who you're the only one who can control their sexual behavior. I want you to know there are actually millions of people who feel that way. And I know this because I've been I've been helping people end this behavior for 11 years this year. November would be making it 11 years. So I just want you to know that it's not hopeless and that there are many resources out there where you can seek help for free um, and just educate yourself. And once you put yourself around other people who are dealing with this, it becomes such a freeing experience just to know that you're not alone in this and to slowly start realizing that you you are the big thing is you are worthy of being loved um that's really the most important thing in what we do at porn reboot if we get more people to realize that they are worthy of love and they're deserving of it any any day we do that that somebody sends us that message it's it's some um, that's what we celebrate in the company that's the important thing to us well it's just such an empowering just beautiful message to to leave people with thank you so much um so how do people connect with you if they do want to get on the on your wait list well um i would say first start with uh finding us on on spotify or an apple podcast we're called the porn reboot podcast we're pretty easy to find Uh, we are the top porn addiction recovery podcast got about 500 and something episodes 
You can also find us on YouTube by searching for my name, JKMAZ. Got about a thousand educational videos there. So there's plenty. You can watch three, four of my videos and educate yourself every day for a year. And you'd know everything there is to know about pornography addiction. You can also find me on my website, which is elevatedrecovery.org. And just to be clear, I'm not the only one. We have some wonderful doctors, psychiatrists, and therapists that work for Elevated Recovery. Uh, we have group coaching. If you're on social media and you're on Facebook, you can also search for Porn Reboots. And uh, that's a great place to start because we've got a free group with a few thousand members. It's a private group. Everything we do is private. If you put in your name or your email somewhere, it's not going to be shared. No one will ever know that you joined or that you inquired about any of this. That any of all, Everything is discreet. So don't be afraid of, of reaching out. No one's going to try and sell you on anything. You won't get a call, your wife picking up the phone going like, oh, my God, (laughs) (laughs) don't worry about that. (laughs) Very discreet. Uh, So check us out and just educate yourself. But the main website is elevatedrecovery.org. Awesome. And I'll put that in show notes, everybody. I'll put all the links and all that fun stuff. So, well, it has, again, just been so enlightening, very empowering. I've learned a lot myself. Thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your your story and, uh, yeah, your beautiful work. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye.